Let's spell a song so you can sing along with one special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a special guest who I'm wondering if he's going to tie this into German epic theater somehow. It's Colden Lamb, everyone. Can we do a podcast with some razzleberry dressing? A razzleberry dressing would be nice. Oh God, the razzleberry dressing. You had to start there. Great. Uh, Colden, how are you doing? Oh, I just feel so happy. You know, ringle, ringle coins when they jingle make such a lovely sound. You were concerned about time. You're just basically going to reenact the whole thing, aren't you? (laughs) A a very Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Scrooge. That's my Jack Cassidy. Oh, but sir, it's Christmas. (laughs) And we're here today. Yes, you're right. It is Christmas. And we're here today to talk about Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, a 1962 TV movie. Yeah. It it's was fun enough to be a TV It is the first animated Christmas special. So without this special, oh. we wouldn't have Rudolph. We wouldn't have The Grinch. We wouldn't have every other single Rankin-Bass special. Interesting. It's, this is the one that started it all. Uh, the screenplay is by, well... The adaptation, I should say, is by Barbara Chain. Music by Jewel Stein. Lyrics by Bob Merrill. Directed by Abe Levitow. And according to IMDb, a musical adaptation of the classic tale by Charles Dickens stars Magoo as the cold-hearted old miser Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, I've never watched Mr. Magoo ever. So this is like my first foray into the character. I did have to look him up to like kind of understand his shtick so he's just blind as a bat but won't admit it yes so his shtick for those who don't know is that he's an elderly gentleman and he doesn't see things very well he's he's not blind but he's just old and his eyesight's not very well so the shtick is that he confuses things for something else and that's where the hijink and hilarity ensues. For example, um, I think his first uh, theatrical short was him confusing a bear for uh, his son uh, because the son gets lost in the woods and the bear comes in and the bear accidentally grabs the son's hat. And Mr. Bagoo thinks, oh, that's my son, and I don't question anything. And he thinks that paintings are people, and he just confuses it a lot, and somehow it all works out. I I find the shtick, personally, to be like a one-off thing. Like, oh, that's funny. But this character, I mean, he started, I believe, 1946, 1947. And then he did a bunch of theatrical shorts through the 50s. And then UPA... Uh, did a Mr. Magoo TV special. And then he did individual TV specials after Mr. Magoo. So apparently the shtick has been well enough to last almost 
30 years. And I know in the 90s, they did an, uh, a live action adaptation of Mr. Magoo, a live action Ooh. film. Um, have you seen that one, John? No, I haven't. But I don't think a live action would work so well. I think well, like- they made it and it was a flop. But just saying that the shtick of an elderly gentleman who's very kind, and very nice, sometimes a little grumpy, but confuses things for what they're not, apparently is comedy gold. And then, well, I was reading because I just like read the Wikipedia page, of course, because that's one of my sources. And he turns into an actor, which we see in this. Yes. Where he's doing a production of Christmas Carol. Yes. So in this um, TV special, uh, Mr. Magoo is an actor performing on Broadway uh, a musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol. The Broadway section of this this special helps sets up the musical numbers. Mm -hmm. And as a one-off special that does not interrupt the flow of the Mr. Magoo TV show that was happening at the time. And this also allows the Magoo shtick to happen at the beginning and the end of the story. It does Uh, happen throughout the play, but not as... uh, Only once. Uh, It only happens after uh, Scrooge has seen the light and then he goes into a little bit of the shtick. But then we have the book ends of him going to the theater and being blind as a bat. But there's also moments within the, the, a Christmas Carol when people are like, Oh, you're like, they do. I like sight jokes. It's not like an actual, like, uh, like the moment you're talking about is when he sees a painting of himself and then he sees the bust and that's supposed to be like him looking in a mirror. But then throughout the whole play, there are like, can't you see you can see this right like they, you know they do a little like very yes but very minimal not to interrupt right story of a christmas carol and you'll note that it was this is the first time we also see Mag- magoo in a very dramatic role because well, this is my first time seeing mr magoo so didn't magoo at all well it's like seeing tom and jerry do mm-hmm. Hamlet Shakespeare yeah <laughs> yeah do, doing Shakespeare <laughs> like how so, we went to the same thing basically um well, so yeah. I know more of the Christmas Carol and because hi that's in our pop culture at this point um I also realized that so a few years ago I did the Alan Menken Christmas Carol, the one that Hallmark made the movie version of. It played you at Madison You look to yourself before it's too light. And I realized that that show has such a chokehold on me that I feel like any other musical version of A Christmas Carol, my brain is like, this isn't right. But then the other side is like, no, no, you're watching the right thing. You, shut up. Shut up. This is a different adaptation of it. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I also, I don't enjoy the Hallmark film adaptation of A Christmas Carol, but the Madison Square Garden production yes. of A Christmas Carol with a score by Mankin and lyrics by Lynn Ahrens, I yes. think is a fantastic adaptation. There's also another musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol that came out in the late 50s uh, called The Stingiest Man in Town, which was also a TV musical adaptation of Christmas Carol. Oh, and man, I have also, to put that out to next year. Yes, and Rankin Bass would later do an animated version of The Stingiest Man in Town. Oh my God. <laughs> you didn't know that? And I Walter Matthau played Scrooge in that one. 
oh my god but i gotta say in this one like there are moments there are songs in this that i'm like wow this is profound for what's supposed to be like i watched this on peacock and right before this there was like a an ad for toys because it's considered a family kids program program so they were like of course let's do a commercial for toys right before and then i'm watching uh watching this we're getting along and then we get to alone in the world and i'm like holy shit <laughs> this is sad and then it's uh and then we go into we are despicable <laughs> well before before that it's winter was warm and i'm like oh my heart is breaking well what would be my heart if i had one uh is breaking because man man alive how do you think feel though about them flipping past and present so that is the number one thing that people complain about this special is the flipping of the ghosts and there is a book about the making of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. I hope I could pronounce the author's name correctly. I apologize if I don't. Uh, Daryl Van uh, Sitters, C-I-T-T-E-R-S. How do you pronounce that? Sitters. Uh, Sitters. Um, He was a Disney animator, and he wrote this beautiful book on the making of it. And in the book, they talk about the, the switching. And the reason why they did it is because nobody knows. Nobody knows why the decision was made. <laughs> my, my theory on why they switched is because winter was warm. I think they wanted to make that the... 11 the, o'clock number? Well, it's not the 11 o'clock number. Technically, the 11 o'clock number is Mr. Magoo's reprise of Alone in the World. But they wanted to be the central thing of the special was winter was warm you'll note that the show or the the special begins with winter was warm each time we come back from a commercial break you hear an instrumental version of winter was warm oh, in the, I didn't, of the special is winter is warm and when the critics play they do a choral version of winter is warm so, so they, that's why i think it was done because if you did um the other way in which bell comes first before the the, the uh-huh. family then you wouldn't have gotten a big impact with that song but having winter was warm in the middle at the vocal point before the ghost of christmas future comes um that, that's that's my theory because i'm sure that was like the that's our song that's the one we're going to sell a lot of sheet music to and did you know that there's a popular theory so julie stein and bob merrill were not the first choice there it's a long story but it'll be worth it i show you Julie Stein and Bob Merrill were not the first choice for writing Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. The first choice that the creative team wanted was Rodgers and Hammerstein because they recently wrote a TV special called Cinderella. I somehow knew you were going to say that, by the way. I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I'm bad. I didn't look that much into this, but when you were setting it up, I was like, really, the only other writing team I could think of at this time is Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yes. And unfortunately, Rodgers and uh, Richard Rogers was working on a show with Alan J. Lerner, and I don't think that project ever went through fruition, but they were he was busy and he declined. And so they went to Frank Lesser, but he had some schedule conflicts and he just opened How to Succeed in Business and he couldn't do it. But Frank Lesser recommended Julie Stein. Julie Stein said yes, because he was currently working on a musical adaptation on a famous Ziegfeld star called Fanny Bryce. 
And that show was going through a little bit of a rough patch and he had a little bit of a break. So Julie Stein got Bob Merrill and they sat in an LA apartment or hotel for five days and wrote all the songs. Now let's get back to the main point, which is winter is warm. There's a popular theory that they wrote in that five days in the hotel, writing the score for Mr. Magoo. They originally wrote a song called people in which bell was telling Scrooge that <laughs> I'm sorry. Christmas is about being with each other and people and people who need people are the luckiest people <laughs> in the world. But they didn't like oh, the no. song, so it became Winter Was Warm. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> a rumor, so, nonetheless, a rumor. So then, uh, Jules, is it Jewel or Julie? Julie. So then Julie Stein was like, I'm going to put this in my back pocket and we're going to hold on to people for a while. <laughs> I mean, why not? Why not? <laughs> That is the funniest thing I've heard. <laughs> but like, now that you tell me that they were locked in a room for five days writing this, it makes sense. Because there's some some moments where I'm like, oh, this was a 3 a.m. song. Well, like the score is, I find to be very interesting. I feel like because they said it was going to be an animated special, Julie Stein and Bob Merrill decided to play up, to write some songs in a cartoon vein like Ringle Ringle and We Are Despicable and the beginning section of The Lord's Bright Blessing, which has the Razzleberry section. Some of the yeah, songs that's, are very silly. That's the one and, where I'm like, you wrote this while you were like having 3 a.m. sillies or something like that. Yeah, but they're delightful tunes. And, you know, that's the thing with A Christmas Carol that you can go either way. You can be, you could write something very serious like the FX version of A Christmas Carol that went completely dark, or you could do something lighthearted and a little bit more family-friendly. And I think this was the first version, because it was the first animated special, I think it inspired other animated versions of A Christmas Carol to say, hey, this story is good and great for kids. Um, so yeah. I like that they. it's an interesting score because, again, like you have those silly moments, but then you have something simple and profound like Alone in the World, and then you have a beautiful Broadway ballad with Winter Was Warm. So it's it's mm-hmm. interesting the flavors they picked for each of these numbers. I also found on I, the IMDb soundtrack section that they have Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But I didn't hear that at all so in this. at the beginning of the Broadway play section of the Christmas Carol. There are three children outside standing with coins and they sing oh, little, they do little sing snippets those. of Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angel Sings. And But then it goes into a big orchestra version of Winter Was Warm. Because they, I guess they really just wanted to make that the, the big number. Yes. Um, but the fact that they wrote all original music, yes, they did use some famous tunes in it uh i i heard i heard you shaving a haircut oh and we're despicable we're despicable we're just just like blankety blank blank no good and then another verse and you're like oh that's at the end of the song okay cool 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 cool. Uh, but again and that's just stupid and silly like a little vaudeville number and every vaudeville act ended with shave and a haircut two bits um 
So have you watched, I mean, obviously you've seen this before. I hope you have, or you just picked it blindly. So here's sort of my history with Magoo. Okay. Um, I remember very vaguely, but I remember watching a little snippet of it. They used to show it on Cartoon Network um, during the holiday season. And I remember watching a little section of it because I was, because I saw that it took place in a theater and I love, and I love theater. So that kind of intrigued me like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. But I really didn't know who Magoo was. I think it wasn't until after college, I found the special and I, fell in love with it in particular because it's julie stein and bob merrill who gave us funny girl and sugar and i think both of those men wrote that what's that christmas song oh the weather outside is frightful but the fire is so it's be no place to go let it snow let it snow let it snow hold on i'm looking it up right now let it snow Written by composer Julie Stein and lyricist Sammy Khan. Ah, well, excuse me, I, I spoke out of terms. So Julie Stein wrote Let It Snow. But Bob Merrill did the lyrics for um, How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? <laughs> he also did the lyrics for If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd Have Baked a Cake. And he did the lyrics for Hey Mambo, Mambo. Oh, wow. So anyway, they're, they were... They're part of the great American songbooks, these two gentlemen, and the things they've written together and separately. <laughs> so, the, okay, so this is a play that's being performed. However, a lot of the action that we see, it feels like it's not a play. <laughs> it's a well, movie. I, again, it's that it's, I think we talked about this in some other episode we talked about, which is, that it's that old fashioned kiss me Kate, um, MGM style. It was the boyfriend musical where it's Broadway sets, but it would never actually fit into a Broadway house. And those type of movies make me so livid. Oh, uh, they drive me insane. Like how that can't work really. Summer stock. <laughs> that's the biggest one in which um, they're in a barn. But well, then they do these crazy numbers with extravagant sense and all this space. I'm like, but aren't you performing in a barn? Well, white this Christmas is too. that white Christmas is very guilty of that. And this special <laughs> is the guiltiest of them all. But again, we suspend disbelief and we're supposed to be enwrapped in the story of a Christmas carol that we really don't think about it. This and is again, one of the thoughts that I had that I wrote down. Uh, this is one massive set. It must have been designed by the same person who did the Kiss Me Kate set for the movie. Yes, yes, because that stage is just like ever expanding <laughs> and everything. This one, but I wasn't sure though if maybe we're like seeing this through Mr. Magoo's imagination in a way. I mean, no, I just think it's just cartoon suspend disbelief. I, I, I was giving it MGM was, kiss me cake kind of set. I was giving it the benefit of the doubt, being like, oh no, like because. I mean, I don't know Mr. Magoo and like all oh, the shtick that he does, but it seems like he's a decent actor in this, playing Ebenezer Scrooge. And I thought maybe it was like his world that we're seeing that he's really in the play. I don't know what I was thinking. Nope, it's just, it's it's the same designer as the Kiss Me Kate set. I do have to say, though, 
when present came out first, I did go, wait, did I black out an entire section? I rewound it a couple of times being like, wait, no, they said <laughs> he's for, there's, there's Jacob Marley and there's present, but what happened to past? And then, yeah, it was, it was a fun time I had right before recording this, watching this movie. <laughs> yep. And it's the number one thing that Christmas Carol um, fanatics complain about this special. Is because the you have to look at your past to inform the present that may inform the future. The end. <laughs> I had a whole cerebral moment while watching this sober. Um, and I was just like, but I, what you said, your theory makes the most sense though, that they were trying to sell winter was warm as the song of the movie. I can't think of like a Rankin and Bass song that is like this. No, uh, and Rankin and Bass specials usually have more songs. Well, this has a shit ton of songs if you think about it. Yes, a lot yeah, of them I'm are thinking reprises. about Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That one has a bunch of songs. It does. It does. And then you watch Frosty the Snowman and it's the same song repeated seven or eight times throughout the whole movie. In different orchestrational versions. But I mean, this one has... Uh, according to the track listing on the Wikipedia page, there's 11 songs. Granted, three of the, four of them are reprises, and one of them is the Winter is Warm end credits section. Yeah, so we have... Um, it's great to be back! Have, back, um, back! 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 Great to be back on Broadway. Then we have Ringle Ringle. Uh-huh. The Lord's Bright Blessing. Lord's Bright Blessing, or as I like to call it, the Razzleberry Dressing Song. Then we have Winter's Warm and We're Despicable. And then Those Alone are, in the World. The, oh, and Alone in the World. Six. Mm-hmm. And then we have a reprise of Alone in the World and Lord's Bright Wrestling, but I don't count reprises. So six songs. <laughs> in total yeah. in this. And then Ringle Ringle and It's Great to Be Back on Broadway have their reprises. But, but as <laughs> original content, six songs. Yeah. And it's, I mean... It's, it, I understand, you know, they were writing, I felt like though that Julie Stein and Bob Merrill at least like thought about the whole audience and wasn't like, we're just write this for kids. Cause the, what is it? The Razzleberry dressing where I wrote in all caps, just give Tiny Tim Razzleberry dressing. Like that part is for the kid, the children who are watching. But then you have the rest of the song the rest of the Lord's Bright Blessing, which is for the whole family to digest and then maybe have a conversation about. Alone in the World is like so moving. I'm surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me this was also like one of their trunk songs that they were like, let's throw it in here. Well, we work it a little bit. Let's throw it in. And then Winter Was Warm is just great. Yes. Did you know that when Julie Stein had um his viewing party when the special aired um it it included uh who's who's of broadway anthony newley stephen sondheim mike nicholas were all at julie stein's house watching the special when it aired on tv and a eyewitness to the event remembered ethel merman visibly tearing up during winter was warm oh yeah not surprised by that actually a little bit considering who it is but <laughs> not surprised somebody teared up at it. Also, the the voice actor who played young Scrooge was great. The way that they animated him, like 
I was just like, give this animated child an animated award. Come on. Give him a Tony. An animated Tony. Yeah. Speaking of animated, what's your... Uh, before I back up, UPA is the company that produced Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. And UPA has a very distinct animated style. Some people call it lazy because of the way it looks compared to, you know, the animation that we have today. But it it's intentional stylization of very simple and very repetitive. And also, at that time, that animation was made in-house. Most animation nowadays, and even in the 90s and 80s for television uh, specials and things, that that is sent overseas mm-hmm. and brought back to the States. In the States, they do storyboarding. Then they send it over to an animation studio in Japan that does all of that. Yes. But here at UPA, they did everything in-house, which is a lot harder to do. That being said... What is your personal opinion on UPA's animation style? And do you think you liked it for Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol? I see this for what it is. It's also a time capsule of a specific style of, you know, um, of, of animation. I'm trying to see if I can find a list somewhere of possible titles. Like, it made me also think of Hanna-Barbera stuff, um, but I don't think, Hanna Bar- like Hanna Barbera uh, had UPA. Um, I don't know. I don't think it was lazy. I thought it was. I thought it was. It it was what it was. You know, it it didn't hinder or help the story by any means. The only thing that I can think of when you talked about the repetitive thing is the taxis during. It's great to be back on Broadway. Yeah, and also during uh, Mister Fezziwig's annual Christmas ball, <laughs> but not um, that. But not that. Oh, excuse oh. me. I, in the Hallmark Channel version. Mr. Fezzy Wigs and your will Christmas ball. So you're talking about the dancers going dancers back Dancers going forth. back side to side to side to side. Well, I mean, I feel like with that, it just shows you how unimportant it is, but also like to fill the space. You know, mm-hmm. we're, it, it highlights what you're supposed to highlight, which is Magoo at that moment. Or in those moments that we talked, that we said, you know, in the, in It's Back to Be on Broadway, you know, all these cars are rushing by and then he just crosses the street willy-nilly and they all stop. And that's because the focus is on him. Like, we're not supposed to care about that. And then when we're at the Fezziwig uh, party in the past, like, who cares who's there? It, it's supposed to show you, like, there are a shit ton of people, there aren't a shit ton of people. Like, it's not important. So, I and also know. the other thing was is that this special was not supposed to be seen on a gigantic seventy inch television screen like we have today. This was for a TV screen no bigger than an LP. You know, yes. so when you see it on a smaller screen, it looks busy and frantic. But when you watch it on a very big television modern day screen, you see all the quote unquote flaws in my. Oh. I watched this on my 15-inch laptop, and it was perfect. Granted... You got the perfect ratio, probably, for it. Granted, what happened, though, is that they... um, So I watched it on Peacock on the browser screen and everything, but they even, like, cut it smaller. Like, it doesn't take the full browser screen. So it's very very interesting. But, I mean, I don't know. It was fine. I I enjoyed it. Um, Again, I was 
more into the Christmas Carol side of things to really be focusing on the Magoo side of things, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, but I mean, I think this is cute. I'm glad though that uh, they didn't actually have commercials when it went fade to black and came back because I felt like that would have just made it longer and made it a little like, okay, I'm, I'm okay not seeing any more toy commercials, everyone. Yeah. And I really wish that this special was shown on TV annually, but it's hard because... Now there's so many. Well, not that there's so many. It's more that this special is 52 minutes, and that's when you could have... What's 52 minus 60? Eight. (laughs) Eight? You could have eight minutes of commercials, but now, you know, the ratio needs to be, you know, if it's going to be a 30-minute Christmas special, the special is only... 20. 20 minutes, 15 minutes, because the other half needs to be commercials. Well, so, I mean, they have this problem with Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, in its full length, and the Grinch, full length, is 30 minutes. And so it causes problems for, um, you know, NBC and other television um, channels on how to present the special, but have enough time for regular day commercials. So when the Grinch was on TV they trimmed it and they sped it up to make sure they had enough time to fit in all the commercials. And it's hard with goo. That's 52 minutes. uh, Cause uh, you know, is it It needs to be like 45 or 47 minutes long? Yeah. That's, that's the main problem. It's the ratio of the special to commercials is, is difficult. The the interesting thing though, about this is that there are so many commercial breaks within it. And it yeah, feels but... like they only do like three minute intervals in between. I know it's not that, but it feels like that. Cause you're like, Oh, we're going back. You're, you're fading out again. It just felt like we came back from a commercial. Yeah. I think the last time this was shown on television was 2012. And I wonder how they managed the commercial breaks. Uh, Probably just figured it out. Because, like, for example, when they did The Grinch in its entirety on yeah. NBC, it was also at the same time when Illumination was coming out with their Grinch movie. So the so the Grinch, um, which is 30 minutes, ended, if it started at 7 o'clock, it ended around 7.40. And Illumination had a little Grinch short, and they filled up the rest of the time showing that Grinch short. Charlie Brown, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas was also 30 minutes. That also ended around 7.40. And they fill up the other our time by doing simple Charlie Brown shorts to make it a hour. They do the same thing with uh, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. They do the full thing of a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and then they do a little snippets of it's election day, Charlie Brown to stay in with the Thanksgiving November theme. Oh, this is interesting. I'm just seeing that although this is originally a TV movie, it later had a theatrical release. Well, yes and no. So um, it's probably like a short before a movie or something, right? Or was it actually a film? So this this was the animated special. I think in the late or early 2010s, um, the Actors Fund, the excuse me, the Actors Fund, just there's one fund. Um, they put on Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol in concert, uh, featuring the songs from the movie, and they they basically did the special like it is, 
but in a concert version. And it was to support the Actors Fund. They had a lot of famous Broadway names that we know play the roles. For example, one year Sierra Bogus played Bell. Uh, one year uh, Gavin Lee played Scrooge. Oh, this was a, an annual thing, you're saying? They did it, I think they did it for two years, and then they stopped doing it. And oh, wow. uh, Henry played uh, Cratchit. I just wish that um, the Julie Stein estate would allow Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol to be done by amateur companies and release it through MTI to keep the legacy of this special to keep on going. Because I, unfortunately, I'm getting a little off topic. My apologies. But unfortunately, this special in the list of the greatest Christmas carols of all time and which one's the best this one's usually ranked as one of the worst, but that's because people don't understand the context of when this came out and looking at it as an adaptation by itself. Yes, I suppose it's weak and is maybe not entirely true to the spirit of the Dickens book, but it has a charm about it and understanding the, you know, when it came out, what it meant being the first animated Christmas special, it's very significant. Um, and unfortunately, it's, it had a big DVD release in 2011, but now um, it is released through DVD, but as a bonus Christmas oh. episode. Like, as in, like, when they have, like, a big Rankin Bass or Christmas TV special, it's always Rudolph and Frosty and Little Drummer Boy, like, the main big ones. Mm -hmm. And Magoo is always like an extra Christmas special, like next to Christmas, uh, Cricket on the Hearth, or Hearth, excuse me. So that's what kind of makes me really sad about it, is it's, that. And see, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, like I keep saying, I'm first time viewing of this, but you said something that was right. This is charming. I don't understand why, the only thing I can think of why people would, rank it so low is because of the switching of the ghosts but other than that it's pretty faithful i feel like to the dickens story yeah, and uh, they quote certain lines from that from, they, from the story verbatim like as we know every year yes um you have mr magoo being a little sassafras on the windowsill at the end that he's he's voguing he's voguing for <laughs> We could perceive it that way, yes. Oh, come on. He's vote. There's no way you're just lounging on the window sill at the end of. Silly and goofy. He's not voguing. He's voguing. Uh, <laughs> he he did voguing before voguing existed. Uh, I. Yeah, this is just a, a sweet little thing that. I mean, I feel like it. Cut, what it cuts out, it, it's not important for their target audience. And like, yes, there have been other child, like people's childhood favorite versions of Christmas carols in the years afterwards. I, the Muppet Christmas Carol army, like, come on, you, we can't fight them. But I feel like this gets the job done. It teaches, the only thing that I'm a little iffy about, and I think this goes back to any version of a Christmas Carol, is in this one, I don't think Scrooge um, at the end when he's at his at, at his tombstone, like really 
I, I, I don't know. It feels kind of like lighthearted in a way. Like there's other versions I've seen where it's, it's heavier. Like, Oh, I am unappreciative. I mean, I had a moment where I was just like, everyone dies Scrooge and you know this. So why is seeing your tombstone going to sober you up? Yeah. I could just see Mr. Magoo right now going, I have seen a future that's before me. I could just see it right now. But like, I'm just making fun of John because I know how much he loves the you. Hallmark Channel Christmas Carol. It's not the Hallmark Channel. It's the I use that as a back doorway to talk about the MSG version of it. I I love MSG and I love the MSG version of a Christmas. Yes, Carol. and I actually had somebody as a special guest on that episode. Who I was listened in. to it. I yes. loved it, but you can't defend that movie. It's a awful. <laughs> I can defend the cast to some degree. I'm sorry, but I need the ghost of Christmas past to, I, I need him to sound like Ken Jennings. I don't need. I love Jane Krakowski though. Help a working person reach the lights. Huh? I'm not sure if though they lightened it for the Magoo Christmas Carol, the ending though. Did they? Do you feel that? Well, also, this was bef- really before, I think, personally, from my understanding, from looking at different Christmas carols, this was really before Christmas Carol, per se, went dark. You know, we perceived it as a Christmas story, and the ending could be a little bit on the lighter side compared to, you know, something like FX's Christmas Carol or even Scrooge, in which uh, Scrooge is the 1971 musical adaptation uh, with music by Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley in which Scrooge literally goes to hell and we see him, his punishment in hell. Like, so I, and also it's Mr. Magoo. They're not, I mean, they handle being light, but also being serious very well as evidenced by uh, what they do at the ending here. Also with alone in the world, I think, yes, it doesn't go completely dark, but I think it, it manages it being um, profound, but not so heavy with its uh, subject material. And I don't think I want it dark. Let me be clear about that. I think I want it to have to be a little more sobering than dark. Because yeah. like we already had earlier in the special, we had Alone in the World, which, my God was so well done and well handled uh we had winter was warm which is so beautiful and so serious but like uh, here we saw the uh we got the word despicable which cool whatever um i just i don't think though those people are really that despicable i think it's just that when you really think about it, they're just a product of the time period that A Christmas Carol is supposed to take place. Well, I try not to overthink it. Also, I think one of the inspirations behind this special was the success of the recent Broadway musical called Oliver. Well, the recent of this a time. a fun yeah. adaptation of a Dickens novel. And so I found that We're Despicable is too, is like a, the second cousin twice removed of pick a little pocket or two or reviewing the situation. Got it. It's a, it's a silly, they're not bad people. They are products of their time, but they're singing about how despicable they are in a very silly way and how stealing is actually kind of fun and jaunty. 
but in a very silly way, not to be taken seriously. But then when we, so we have that and then we see Tiny Tim has died and then we go to his gravestone, his gravesite. I just don't think Magoo, I'm, I am well aware I'm critiquing an animated character right now. So don't think I'm not picking up on my crazy, but I wish there was just like a little something more, a little something else. I don't know what, but I think it could have been a timing thing or they really needed more time for the reprise of Alone in the World and they didn't really have enough time for him to say, I'll repent, I'll change, or more of that thing. It could have just been a timing thing. That's Yeah, just just making more time for the reprise of Alone in the World. Mm -hmm. I needed needed something. I don't know why. Um, Is there anything else though you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? The last thing before we go into Sharp and Flats is um, from the introduction of the Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol making of book. And I find it very profound and a little bit sad. Um, I'll tell you why it's profound and I'll tell you why it's a little bit sad. So I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Um, Lee Orgel, I believe. O-R-G-E-L. Orgel, is that correct, you think? Sure. Well, my apologies if I pronounce it incorrectly. Um he was having a viewing party at his house in Los Angeles. And when the special ended, um, his wife went into the des- uh, into the kitchen to get dessert. The phone rang. Uh, the wife picks up the phone. Her name is Leah. And the, uh, the person on the other end says, hello, Leah. I wanted to tell Lee that this is the best show I have seen in years. It was wonderful. And I wanted to congratulate him. And then Lee immediately gives the phone or excuse me, Leah gives the phone to Lee. And Lee hears on the other line, let me tell you something, Lee. Not only is this generation going to watch it, but your children, your children's children, and your children's children's children will watch the show. That's how good it is. I can't wait. I couldn't wait to call you and tell you. And Lee Orgel was beaming. Uh, The man who was calling was Walt Disney. So wait. Let's backtrack a second. Lee Orgel. He was the producer. Got it. Okay. So, oh, I see his name. Yeah, so he got a call from Walt Disney. And Walt Disney was beyond. Wow. So that's what I find very profound. If the father of animation gave the biggest glowing review to Mr. Magoo on how beautiful this special is and how much he thoroughly enjoyed it. And yet at the same time, this special does not air every year and it is an extra special on Christmas classic DVDs. And that's what... Hopefully this episode episode introduces to the tens of listeners who are going to listen to it. Like, I mean, spread it around everyone. This movie, it's under an hour. So like, and like you said, the Charlie Brown Christmas and all like the uh, Rankin and Bass ones are about 30, 40 minutes long each. So you're not really, and, and this moves, this, it doesn't linger on anything. Yeah. You're wondering why, like, I was expecting more like backstage hijinks to happen. Or like Kiss Me Kate. Yes. Cause we were introduced in the beginning and then I was waiting for it to happen, knowing 
after reading about the character is can't uh, has trouble seeing, and so like I was waiting for him to be like be in his dressing room and putting on a fuck ton of makeup or something, or he wears the wrong. I mean, we do get the wrong costume. I think that's supposed to be what that is. Uh, at the end, when he just puts the top the top hat on instead of yep. like a coat or anything, but you know, I was expecting a little. I was expecting a little more, but I was pleasantly surprised with how serious they took this production. And I'm, I know I'm talking about an animated movie right now. <laughs> I sound insane, but I'm happy that they, that they didn't turn it into like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something, you know? Like and it could have been like that. It could have easily turned into Mr. Magoo does his hijinks in uh, in a Christmas story setting, but they yes. didn't. They decided to tell play the with, story and play with wit and and other and other things. You know, it was yeah. I feel I feel like I may watch this again. <laughs> you know, I, well, I watch it every year now, and I it's it's like a it's like a nice cup of warm soup. It's it, it's or it's like having it's a hot cocoa meal. What was that? It's hot cocoa. Yes, it's some consider it very childish hot cocoa because it's not an adult beverage or as I I like to think of this as maybe Kraft's macaroni and cheese. Yes, it's not gourmet macaroni and cheese and yes, Kraft macaroni and cheese is a little silly, but once you taste it, you just it just brings back some warm memories of childhood and just it, it's Makes you feel all nice and toasty inside, and it and it also gets you in the holiday spirit. I feel like, yeah, I think much more than any other adaptation of a Christmas Carol, in which those, even as much as I love the Alan Menken, Lynn Aaron's adaptation, that one feels more to me like a musical, and we're telling a story that happens at Christmas. While yes. this is, this is Christmas. This is warm, cozy feelings. Um, it's, it's, yeah. I can't describe it. It's it's, it's Razzleberry dressing. It's Razzleberry pie. I think also this special, um, Razzleberry was not a thing. I think this was, I think Razzleberry is an invention of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. And if you go to your grocery store and you look in the pie section, Marie Callender's, there is a Razzleberry pie. <laughs> I think I'm lying. I have one in the fridge right now. No, it's not. You know, I, I'm having Razzleberry pie. No, I believe I believe you on that. I don't Razzleberry pie. Which I think is a mixture. I think the pie is a mixture of of raspberry and blueberry. You are correct. I'm on <laughs> I'm on everybodywiki.com and the origins of the name comes from Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. You are correct. Um, does he say raspberry pie? He says raspberry dressing. He uh, sings raspberry dressing. gravy. Um, yeah. Raspberry gravy and raspberry dressing is what is used in the special, but not raspberry pie. Yeah, so the popularity of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol introduced the term raspberry into popular culture, culture, though it was not used anywhere else until the introduction of raspberry pie in the 1990s. And that is from the everybody wiki page of yet, raspberry pie but yet every year the there's more grinch merchandise and every year 
There's more Charlie Brown merchandise, and yet... Hey, if Marie Callender can figure out how to market off of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, I think we're good. <laughs> well, in any case, it's responsible for creating Razzleberry. It was the first animated special, and yet it's an extra on Greatest Christmas Specials DVD box. And on that note, let's get into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Sharp Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, I thought I could change. It's flat. Okay, let's start with flats. Because, okay, so I originally did write down the changing of past and present. But because of our discussion of it, I think I'm not going to flat that. I think I'm going to just let that be. You might call it a neutral? Uh, No, I don't think I'm going to call it a natural either. I think I'm just going to like... Let it be. Because if there was a reasoning behind it, if it was a dumb one, I would flat it. But because there really isn't one, and we're speculating that they wanted to, they wanted the um, winter was warm to be in like the middle of the movie as like a climactic song. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to, I'm going to, you hear me? I'm deleting it right now. It's gone off my outline. Um, but my one flat is the the lack of backstage antics. Like, I wanted more theater stuff in this. Like, we're doing a play. I mean, yes, that would probably add more time or take away time from other moments in the in the movie. But that's just me. Really, honestly, I don't really think I had any real flats. This is just, as Matt Coplick likes to say, my John Riley survey of flats (laughs) do you have any flats for this um no i i don't there if i do i don't want to beat this film down because i know that the intentions behind this film and the creative team were good-hearted that it they don't i don't feel like they needed to be corrected for anything you know what i'm gonna flat the fact that it is low on people's lists of adaptations of Christmas Carol. That's what I'm going to flat. Yes. Because, because this is just cute. It's fun. It's charming. It's not the most thought-provoking, I will say that. But for an hour, I was watching a, a fun a fun little skitscat. Was I confused about the changing of past and present? Yes. Do I care that much about it? Not really. No. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna flat everyone else <laughs> in this besides this movie. You know what? Uh, I'm surprised you didn't flat. Most people flat this. It's great to be back, 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 back. Great to be oh, back see, on Broadway. See, that happened early enough in the movie that I forgot about it, really. A lot of people hate back, back, back on Broadway. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Um, I just, I just didn't understand the context of it really too, because again, this is my first Magoo thing, my uh, movie. Um, I've never watched the show before. I've never seen any of his other specials. So to me, I was like, okay, cool. Maybe I'm missing something. Like maybe he was on Broadway before, but like it didn't, I don't know. It, if it was, it felt fun. And then obviously it uh, within that song, it does introduce you to the shtick 
because he walks into the walks into the restaurant instead of to the stage door he crosses traffic and you know magically doesn't get hit by the long line of taxis but yeah it was nice okay sharps i sharped alone in the world and winter was warm because i'm not an idiot um I also sharped using shave and a haircut and were despicable because I thought that was cute little like for you adults who know or for those who know. Um, And then I sharped the design of Christmas past. I really liked how that character looked because I believe in Dickens it's supposed to be described as an infant or a child or something like that. Yeah, uh, I... I haven't read it, but in most adaptations, as you know, it's a it's it's a comes from a candlestick and it's young and representative. It looks just it's like a, Jane Krakowski, you know. It's an ethereal bee. Well, I think Muppet Christmas Carol is the one that like really got it with that Muppet that that design of the of the Muppet. Um, like they got the actual Dickens, you know, description down. But I really enjoyed this. I like the fact that it was like uh, it had a little fire above it. Um, I would have been intrigued to actually see what they <laughs> if there was more backstage stuff to see like the person getting in the costume. I get it. It's an animated movie. Yes. But come on. <laughs> You're expecting me to believe that these are people. <laughs> so uh, Somehow you can't set somebody's hair on fire for a show. Yeah. Um, what about you? What are your sharps? I for my sharps, I have the background layouts. They're very fun and very whimsical. I love the color schemes of each of the different scenes. Mm-hmm. In particular, when Jacob Marley first enters uh, Scrooge's house, there's delicious reds and oranges and browns, and set against Marley's blue is beautiful i love when scrooge goes into the town of his childhood i love the color scheme of the different buildings that are in the village is that another signature of upa by the way or is that just yeah they have great color styling that's part of their signature because that Uh, when you ever seen gay perry you what have you ever seen gay perry that's a upa movie musical i don't think so i guess Okay, that's all. No, 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 that's all. That's all. That's all. No, no. But I, I feel like I've seen this because, like, there are moments where the background is just like an ombre of color, and the the characters like floating in a void. It feels like, even though yes, it's supposed to be on stage, but there's a moment where it was like purple and blue, and it's supposed to like just not be that important. Yeah. Agreed. Um, my other sharp is the the voice cast for this. In particular, my two favorites are Jack Cassidy, who played Cratchit. Uh, Jack Cassidy was a great Broadway performer. He was in the original Broadway cast of She Loves Me. He did Maggie Flynn. He is mostly known as being the husband to Shirley Jones. Um, but I love Jack Cassidy. I love his singing voice. He's so tender when he sings the Lord's bright blessing with his timbre. Um, I think he's a great Cratchit. I think he's fantastic. And also Paul Fries, who um, did one of the voice of the, of the, the plungers. I think that's what they're called 
And he did a couple of other voices in this special. I think he also was the voice of the director. Paul Fries, as you may know, is the vo- is the voice of the Haunted Mansion. That's what he's most known for. But he's done a bunch of other voices throughout the years. But I thought his vocal presence in this was fantastic. He was also, uh, for those of you who are keeping up and like, you know, of other episodes, he was a voice in The Last Unicorn that we've done on this podcast. Oh, he was, and, I'm not surprised he's in that. And The Return of the King. And let me see what else have we done. And The Hobbit. <laughs> He's yeah, done. he's he's done everything and everything. Wow, he's he's got three hundred seventy four credits to his name. Shit, wow. And it, I do have to. We do need to give an honorable mention to Jim Backus, who is the voice Jim of Mister Magoo. Mister Magoo. If you're wondering who this person is, well, he was in a little show called Gilligan's Island, playing Thurston Howell the Third. Um. But yeah, apparently though, in his known for Rebel Without a Cause is the first thing in on his IMDb page. Then there's It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World and Pete's Dragon and then Gilligan's Island. So not even Mr. Magoo made the top four. How sad. And I'm not even mentioning the entire vocal cast. I was just mentioning my my Your favorites. And, well, Jim Backus goes without even mentioning. He's <clears throat> He makes the special and he's he is Mr. Magoo and he does some and I love his tender moments that he's still able to be Magoo and we're still able to hear his, you know, in processing his thoughts and his feelings. Well, so according to the IMDb trivia, uh, producers didn't know if Jim Backus could sing. So they considered Robert Goulet for the singing voice of Scrooge. But obviously they didn't go that route. Well, I wonder how it would have worked with Goulet. Maybe Goulet would be the voice. The singing voice. Well, the thoughts of Magoo, um, you know, rather than Magoo singing it out loud, Magoo is thinking about this and his thinking singing voice is Goulet. Who knows? That would have been an interesting choice. But you'll note that he doesn't really sing and when he does sing he does it in a character voice or and he speaks sings like rex harrison in particular in the oh, song yeah. ringle yeah ringle ringle is is just you know william shatner-esque you might say yes i'm a rocket man uh would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist can we have a Christmas tree with razzleberry dressing? A razzleberry dressing. You're turning into Carol Channing here, and I'm kind of here for it. <laughs> I w- I can usually do my Tiny Tim voice, but I have a little bit of a frog in my throat today, unfortunately. You, you have a little Carol Channing in your throat. Oh, oh, why, yes. You know, I love Mr. I love Julie Stein. He wrote Gentleman <laughs> for Lounge. You know, I was supposed to be the singing voice of the ghost of Christmas present. Remember the lights of long ago. <laughs> sing this. That, that's not Jerry Herman. Uh, so you're going to add the Lord's Bright Blessing onto your life's playlist? Yes. Whenever I have Razzleberry Pie, it's, I always hear bling, bling, 
Blunk. Now we'll have a Christmas tree with Razzleberry dressing. That's all I think about. Um, I think I would. I think I'm gonna add winter. Winter was warm. I'm gonna drink the Kool Aid and add it. Um, you know, and winter was. was I can't speak. Winter was warm. Um, has been covered by a lot of female artists. So if you're ever bored and you're on Spotify, John, just look just up. Type winter. in winter was warm and play all of them. <laughs> but you can hear the different renditions and versions of the song outside of. Uh, the special, my personal favorite is Vicky Clark's version of Winter Was Warm. Oh, I mean, Alone in the World is a nice song. I don't think I want to add it because that'll make me super depressed. But I do want to give it a shout out as like, a gr- it's a great song as well, especially for a family special like what this is. Granted, this is 60s, so things are done differently than they are today. Yes, simple but profound. And on that note, Colden, we are done with the episode. Also, we should say happy 61st birthday to Mr. Magoo's Christmas uh, a Christmas Carol. Because, yeah, it came out in 62 and it's now 2023. I hope it lasts forever. And again, I hope that the Julie Stein estate will allow uh, the concert version that they did with the Actors Fund to be licensed to amateur and regional theaters because I think that would be a wonderful way to keep the spirit and the memory of this show alive. If that were to happen, who would you want to play? The director? Magoo, what are you doing? We've been holding the curtain for half an hour. But then that means, so would oh. that entail that you are then part of the ensemble for the singing? Um. Okay, so I love Jack Cassidy. Okay, fine, I'll, be, I'll give you up. The real answer. I love Jack Cassidy, and I feel like we both share the same vocal timber. So I would love to play Cratchit just because I love Jack Cassidy so much. And to play a role that he has done in the past, I think would be very special. Uh, That means you're also going to be Dick Wilkins. Yes, he also was the voice of Dick Wilkins because this is a UPA production, which everyone does four different voices for multiple different characters. Is who is Dick Wilkins? Is he one of the Dick Wilkins is the one of the shop workers with uh Magoo at Fezziwig's uh employee. So where is Marley? So Dick Wilkins and Magoo, excuse me, Scrooge, ah, um, work for Fezziwig when Fezziwig. Uh, or when Scrooge goes away from Fezziwig and starts his own employ, he works with Marley. Oh, okay. But some adaptations to make it more clear, uh, can take out Wilkins and Dick put Wilkins, in Marley, and they put in Marley. Okay, so that's me. That's on me. That's on me. Everybody. Yeah, that's what happens when you watch that Hallmark Channel version of the Christmas Carol by <laughs> Alan Menken and Lynn Zairds. Well, then, what do you have to plug or promote? When the business goes down, it stays down. I pity you. I pity you. <laughs> what? I, Don't I, pity me. No, I'm I'm doing the bad uh, physically. I, I, I pity you. Um, Sorry, this is me. Half of this is me, me making fun of that 2004 version. What? I would never have guessed. As I, I will repeat for the record that I love 
the Madison Square Garden version and its orchestration. I do not like the Hallmark Channel movie um, because I know that the MSG version was 10 times as better. I have nothing to plug or promote except how much I love the MSG version of A Christmas Carol. So, Colton, where can the people find you? You can find me on social media at my name, Colden Lamb, or at coldenlamb.com. Um, and if you... I don't what do I want to ask people? If this is your favorite adaptation of a Christmas carol, let me hear about it. I'd love to know why. Not, you know, like me judging you why. Like, you know, be like, oh, my family watched it when I every year when I was growing up. That's a fun story, because we all have that type of movie. Uh you can email me at buttasongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttasongpod. Yes, I'm still calling it Twitter. I don't give a shit. Um I got nothing. I got nothing else well, to ask the good people. If you excuse me, I need to go get some raspberry pie. Dressing. Well, they don't sell dressing. They sell the pie. Yes, but then if you're going to quote the movie, quote it correctly. Uh, I'm off to go get some raspberry gravy. You're right. They do say that in the movie, too. Uh, so it's raspberry and blueberry. Then they got razzleberry from that. Okay. Ask Bob Merrill. I will. Uh, and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going to be talking about Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. We are here. Colden, thank you so much for coming back on. I'm surprised, though, that you didn't tie this to, like, French New Wave cinema or something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, well. and, yeah, what were you about to say? What were you about to say? That's all. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and bye for now. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.